Hello, and welcome back to Gabe Talks About Things, the podcast where I, your host, Gabe, talk about user-submitted subjects. Uh, Today, I'm going to be talking a little bit about something that I personally know a little bit about, and that is homesteading and farming, because that's a kind of a quickly growing movement, if you will. And I wanted to give my two cents about it, because I think now more than ever, uh, self-reliability is something that's a big uh, contender in a lot of people's lives, and a lot of people are actually looking to start uh, suburban uh, farms. Uh, and a lot of people who have farms that are out in the country uh, still like to um, talk about these sorts of things because they're they're fun to talk about. So today I'm going to be talking a little about little about ooh, I can't talk little bit about. I'm sorry. I'm going to be talking a little about homesteading and that sort of self-reliability farming type of lifestyle because that's a lifestyle I live. Um, So for those of you who don't know, I live on a farm and living on a farm in the part of the country where I live is kind of rare, but it's also kind of common, if you will. Like there are lots of people who live on farms but they're usually all isolated in one place. So all the farms are out in the country, all isolated. And I, I, that kind of doesn't make sense. They're all isolated. I mean, all farms, you know, are out in the country. They're all in one part of town, and then everybody who goes about their daily life lives somewhere else, right? Like the non-farmers all live in one part, and everybody who farms lives in one part, and that's sort of like a self-segregation uh, for me, that's not the case. I live out in the country. Um, I have a farm. I live on a farm. But I actually go to school and I go about all my daily activities in the country. Or not in the country, in the city, rather. Uh, so I have a, a blend of everything. So, I mean, I go to a normal, pretty great school, public school. That's not in the middle of the country, you know. My parents both work jobs in the city. I'm hoping to work a job in the city, but we also do a lot of farm work. So we have a we have a blend of um, both. So if anybody is thinking about getting into farming, uh, the first piece of advice I would give to you is if you're going to start out small, that's fine. But also your location should help determine your size. What I mean by that is if you're starting out with backyard chickens and you live in a suburb, that's totally doable. Chickens and keeping chickens is a really simple beginning task for anybody starting a farm. That's 100%, you know, a great place to start off. But you probably shouldn't expand out beyond more than a few, maybe like half a dozen backyard chickens, uh, if you live in a neighborhood, whereas if you have some acreage, you should probably go a bit bigger if that's what you're, you, you have room to expand and you should go bigger. People, a lot of times people will either underestimate or overestimate the amount of land that they have. You'd be amazed at how much you can fit into a small area. Uh, for example, I personally have 10 goats um, about 70 chickens, two ducks, 
a turkey and two cats. And uh, those all spend time together and hang out in one big uh, pen. Now, they have separate areas, of course. You know, the goats have their area and their barn, and the chickens have their shed and their coop, and, you know, the cats sleep up in the top of the barn where the goats are. So it's like it's a big area, but they all share this one big common space that's all enclosed. And then they all have their separate quarters where they go at nighttime. So you can do a lot more with land than what you have. But also, if you don't live somewhere where having animals is necessarily, you know, commonplace, don't jump the gun. Like people, when they get chickens, they usually ease into it. But I know of people who... um who will try to squeeze a lot more into their uh, small spaces than is feasible, and they end up regretting it later. Now, that's not to discourage you, but you you can definitely, um, you can do a lot with what you have, but you just don't don't try to fit in too much. You know what I'm saying? Um, so starting off uh, with the topic of backyard chickens, a lot of people these days, I see more and more people that are getting backyard chickens. And by backyard chickens, I mean you have a small chicken coop or you have a chicken tractor, which is a, a movable coop on wheels. You can roll around to different parts of your back garden. And you keep a small number of uh, chickens in there for eggs. You don't usually eat them. Backyard chickens, you can have them as meat birds, but most people don't. And so if you're getting, if you're looking to get started... I recommend chickens as a really great place to start because they are actually, they're not very high maintenance animals. Now you're going to have to replenish their food and water. Excuse me. On a regular basis, I would say daily, but you can probably, if you have a big enough feeder or you, it depends on how many chickens you have and how big your feeder is, you can probably get away with every other day. If you have a big enough feeder and you don't have a lot of birds, but on a semi-daily basis, you're going to have to replenish their food and water. And, of course, you got to clean out the coop. Um, so you normally what you would do is you'd lay down, like, hay or not hay, but, like, wood shavings. And you would scoop that out and lay down fresh stuff whenever you clean out the coop. So, you know, uh, keeping chickens is not that high maintenance. And you get lots of eggs because... If your birds are producing as best as they can, you're getting an you're going to be getting an egg per bird per day. So, in my case, I have seventy chickens now. Uh, full disclosure: most of them aren't laying yet because most of them are still really young. But we have about ten out of those seventy that are actually laying on a regular basis, and we get about seven eggs a day on average. Um, which goes to show that, uh, point two, when it comes to backyard chickens is that you're going to get a lot more than you expect, uh, getting eggs from chickens, as many eggs as you would get if you keep chickens, it's usually a lot more eggs than you're used to having. And you're going to have in a lot of cases, more eggs than you can actually consume. And you're going to be, you know, you're going to have more eggs than you know what to do with, which is why a lot of people with backyard chickens will give eggs away or sometimes they'll sell them. But a lot of times they'll give them away to their neighbors, their friends, their family, you know, members of their church, whatever, you, whatever you got, they'll, they'll give them away a lot. 
And that's just something uh, people with backyard chickens will do. Another animal that people um, get involved with when they do backyard farming or when they smart when they buy land is something a lot of people do once they buy maybe like some acreage, like maybe one or two acres, is they'll get uh, rabbits. Rabbits are something I don't have as much experience with, mainly because I don't actually have rabbits. Right now, that's actually, we're working towards getting rabbits on the farm. But uh, with rabbits, um, I would say they're almost easier to maintain than chickens. Because here's the thing. If you're raising rabbits for meat, like you know you would be if you were raising rabbits, you would only need about three rabbits. Two females and a male. And the thing about rabbits are is that they are a territorial animal. So a lot of people will see rabbits in cages and be like, oh, they're all cooped up in there. The thing about rabbits are that in nature, they actually tend to stay in one place. Um, rabbits run around a lot like you see rabbits running around. But you got to keep in mind when rabbits are running around, they're either looking for something like food or a mate or something like that. Or they are um, running from something else. They're running to their their um, burrow or their den. And so when you have rabbits in a hutch, uh, like you would be keeping backyard animals or like you'd be keeping your rabbits on your homestead, they're not going to be very active rabbits. They're going to be kind of sedentary. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because that's what they do on instinct, right? They always like they, they are very territorial. Rabbits are extremely uh, territorial animals and they will like to stay in one place and bunker down in that place. So when you have rabbits in a hutch, they're going to want to prefer to stay in their hutch most of the time. And you really don't want to let them out often, if at all, um, because they're going to kind of be panicked when they're out in the middle of the world and not in their little cozy den. So just keep that in mind. They're really low maintenance because you just keep them in a hutch and you actually can get rabbit hutches that have wire bottoms. So when the rabbits uh, poop, you don't have to put bedding down in their things because you have like a a mesh bottom. So when the rabbits poop, uh, it collects in a big, uh, kind of like a tray almost, and you can just dump it. Or what you can do, and this is what I recommend if you have rabbits, is you collect the droppings and you can actually use that straight out of the hutch as manure. Uh, because rabbit droppings are what's called a cold manure. Meaning it's not like cow manure or horse manure where it's hot. That's called hot manure. Basically, you got to let that stuff break down over time so it's not, you know, as volatile or potent. You got to let it break down and dry up and you can use it as, you know, fertilizer and it'll be a bit more um, usable. But with rabbit manure, you can use it as soon as you collect it. You can take a big shovel of rabbit manure and put it in your compost pile or you can put it in your garden right before you start tilling the soil. When you till the soil, you're working that fertilizer into the ground and you can use it right away. So if you're doing something with gardening and you're looking to grow your vegetables, but you also want animals, 
I would recommend you get rabbits because rabbits droppings are amazing fertilizer and you can use it right away. And it won't affect the taste of your vegetables. It won't affect the smell of your vegetables. It's just, it'll just act as really good fertilizer. And with meat rabbits, you only need about two females and one male on average because with, that's two mating pairs. You know, so with two mating pairs, depending on the breed of rabbit you get, one female can produce about 100 kits a year if she's from a large litter herself and their breed is like known for laying large or not laying, but birthing large litters, you can get a hundred kits a year. So a kid is a baby rabbit, by the way. So you got to think about that. If you do the math, then if you have two mating pairs, then in terms of raw meat output from your meat rabbits, you're producing a more than a, a cow uh, would produce in terms of meat. And you also got to think when it comes to a cow, it takes years for a cow to um, mature to the point of, you know, when you got to butcher it, it takes cows quite a long time uh, compared to rabbits. Uh, you can be producing a lot, a lot, a lot of meat in a, not a very large amount of time. And the thing about rabbit meat is it's very lean. It's very high in protein. So if you are somebody who is doing keto or you're trying to cut carbs and you're trying to eat a lot of protein or if you're just health conscious, right, or you don't like red meat or you can't eat red meat, rabbit meat is really, really good because it's super duper lean and it's packed with uh, antioxidants. It's just really good for you. Now moving on to um, another major part of uh, – oh, actually, before I do that, I want to talk about um, something a lot of people with their homesteads and home farms don't talk about is rabbit – or not rabbits, um, fish. I just talked about rabbits. Fish farms. A lot of people disregard fish farming because they think it's a lot of work, and the truth is it's not. The thing about fish farming is depending on what type – of fish you're farming, you can um, you can do a lot more than you think you can, depending on the type of fish. So if I were starting fish farming, I would suggest something like catfish, just because catfish can grow to big sizes and they can eat pretty much anything. If you were going to start farming fish, I would suggest catfish to be your first fish you start to farm. And I suggest that because they can live in you know, almost any conditions, eat almost anything, and they'll grow to be gigantic. Fish farming actually produces a lot of meat as well because, um, you know, catfish especially can get really, really big. So you can get a big container, right? Any type of large container, like think um, a pop-up inflatable pool, right? Or something like that. Or an above-ground pool that's like just the walls of an above-ground pool. Anything that's big and will hold water, excuse me, you can um, begin your fish farming in. And uh, catfish can eat like almost anything. They're like goats. Uh, in a pinch, they'll try to eat anything. Uh, you can feed them cat food out of a bag, like the big dry cat food. You can feed them worms. 
something people have even done, and I think this is ingenious, is they've built rabbit hutches above their um, their fish farms. And so they have mesh bottoms on the rabbit hutches so that the rabbit droppings fall directly into the catfish uh, pond or the catfish pool. And the catfish will actually eat rabbit droppings and they can eat and live off of rabbit droppings, which I know sounds gross, uh, but hear me out. When they eat those rabbit droppings, that, that they can actually subsist on that. And so that way you have no waste. And it actually won't affect the taste or the quality of your meat at all, which I know people are kind of picky about you i don't want my i don't want my food to eat poop but here's the thing they're meant to digest crap right they're meant to be able to digest anything the catfish are so it doesn't really matter what you feed them your end result's going to be the same almost all the time when it comes to the quality of the meat it's not going to make your meat bad or anything no i still think i still people are still kind of picky about that and i if i understand but fish farming is another great option because uh, the waste from a fish farm, like when you uh, process the fish down to meat, the what's left over can actually be used again as uh, a fertilizer. Uh, so moving on to growing stuff like plants instead of animals, something I see a lot is people starting these gardens in their backyards in these planter boxes and i think that is an amazing way to start you can grow all you can eat uh in a little farm in a five by five foot square um garden if you wanted to you can pack so much stuff into just a five by five uh square foot little patch of soil or a little planter box you can plant so much you can do so much with that you know, there are, if you look it up, you can find, look up like a five square foot garden and you'll see what I'm talking about. There's just so much potential there with what you can do. Something I recommend people should try to farm is uh, potatoes. Now, when it comes to potatoes, there's a lot of kind of controversy or uh, I'm, I can't speak in controversy about where you should farm your potatoes. Do you, do you plant in the soil or do you plant in a container? Uh, somebody who's done both, I would suggest that if you're going to start growing potatoes, I think it'd be best for you to do it if you start in a container. They they have – there's videos on YouTube and stuff showing the benefits of doing uh, container-grown potatoes. If you get a big enough container and you um, fill it with the right stuff, you got to fill it with like compost and fertilizer and organic uh, growing material and stuff like that. They have um, stuff that's um, actually byproducts from fish farms uh, called uh, fish blood and bone, where it's just it's a powder of fish bone meal and dried um, waste products from fish, not poop, but like, you know, organs and stuff and blood and viscera from like fish farms. And it's in a dry powder and you can add that to your soil and it'll add lots of nitrogen to the soil and it won't attract pests, which is, I think, a really good bonus and you can get organic compost in there and you grow them in, i prefer growing in compost to growing in soil just because i think it yields bigger potatoes from my experiences and then you add you know organic compounds and organic fertilizer to it and depending on the size of the spud you put in and the size of the container you can get some you can get like some crazy like five to ten pounds of potatoes 
uh, in just like uh, one or two containers worth of potatoes. You can get like five or ten pounds of potatoes per container if you um, maximize or optimize everything. You could be pulling out massive amounts of potatoes. And keep in mind, these containers are not very big. You can fit a bunch of them in a small space. So you can grow a ton of potatoes in not that much space if you do it right. Something else I think you should grow if you can is herbs, lots and lots of herbs because herbs are easy to grow. And um, if you're eating your own food, or you're eating your meat that you produce, and you're eating your vegetables, you will get bored of it in no time. <laughs> you will, you're, you're going to, uh, you're going to get bored of it fast because you're eating the same stuff over and over again. I would highly, highly, highly urge you to grow herbs, any type of herbs. I would suggest things like basil, rosemary, thyme, mint. Mint is really easy to grow. It's almost impossible to kill. Uh, rosemary, uh, oregano, cilantro, and just having those herbs and spices growing will make your culinary life so much better if you're eating your food that you produce. I grow basil personally as my herb of choice, and my grandmother grows rosemary, and they add so much to all types of food, even food that you don't grow, right? Even if it's just normal food that you buy or heck, every time I get takeout pizza, I always sprinkle basil on it when I get home just because it makes it taste so much better. But that's a, that's a personal taste. Uh, I know some people don't like herbs and spices and that's, that's fine, but I would still recommend you uh, grow them if only just for the experience and the smell, because you put some potted herbs on your windowsill or on your front porch and it will make everything smell so good uh, something else I think you should try to grow if you can are things like just normal household vegetables like carrots but uh, onions tomatoes if you can't tomatoes are a fruit tomatoes tomatoes are easy to grow and uh, I think you should try to grow tomatoes if you can because those are just a lot of fun to grow and they're very very rewarding um well it's like oh yeah um Something I think is worthwhile to grow, I would suggest this to be almost as great as potatoes, is corn. Now, corn is more difficult to grow, but not that difficult. Because if done properly, corn will do its own thing and it'll grow up into stalks and ears on its own. You know, it'll it'll do its thing kind of on its own. Now, of course, you have to fertilize and till the soil and take care of the plant and all that you have to do it right but assuming you do it right corn is not difficult to grow and depending on the variety of corn you get it'll be so so sweet uh we grew corn this summer and for a solid week and a half with every meal we would eat corn on the cob with every meal not for every meal but with every meal and right off the cob um you could smell how sweet the corn was and then you boil it and then you bite into it and it's just so sweet it's not like sickeningly sweet it's not overpowering but it's just such a delicious taste it's so good it tastes so better so much better than any other corn i've ever had you know and it's just it's better for you because you know you know what goes into your food something else you can do with corn is if you don't like corn on the cob but you still like corn what you can do is you know you can make other types of corn but something i would suggest you try is let your corn dry out and then um grind it into 
a powder for cornmeal. Now, cornmeal is the substance upon which the American nation was built upon in a in a <laughs> in a weird sense because cornmeal a lot of people don't realize you can use it a lot of the same ways you can use normal flour um you can use it for baking you can use it for well i guess you can just use it for baking i, I don't know <laughs> you can use uh anything you can use flour for almost anything you can use flour for you can use cornmeal for in fact Good cornbread actually contains no flour, just good quality cornmeal. If you want high quality cornmeal, you can get corn because, and that's important because if we're looking at this from a self-reliance standpoint and you want to try to be self-sufficient, one of the biggest kitchen staples is flour. And unless you want to start growing wheat, which I wouldn't recommend if you're getting into this because it's 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 more of an effort than it's worth for a beginner. If you're looking to buy, if you're looking to have something like flour, something that's flour adjacent, because it's such a big kitchen staple, I would honestly recommend you try to grow corn and just try out cornmeal. And hey, you know, if it, if you don't like it, it's not for you. That's fine. But it's such a great um option i think that if you're looking for something that's flour like something like flour you could try growing corn and try using cornmeal instead of uh you know the flour that you normally use and you know everything will be like corn like it'll be like a corn taste but if we're talking about self-sufficiency like if it hits the fan right and our world collapses and you can't get out to the store and buy flour if we're talking in a survival situation, cornmeal is a really good alternative to flour. And so that's why I, rec I would recommend you try to grow corn, even if you don't need it. It's just something good to grow. And hey, you know, the greatest thing about uh, farming is, you know, you can grow stuff that you don't like, you don't want, you don't eat, and sell it to other people. Or if you don't eat a specific uh, vegetable, just plant it anyway and sell it to somebody who does or grow it for somebody else. Or I would suggest, you know, if you grow a lot of vegetables, you know, end up eating everything and assuming it's still fresh, you can give it away to your friends and family, give it to uh, food banks. If it's something that you can do that with uh, or soup kitchens or make it into food yourself and give it to people who are needy. The thing about farming is that it's such a universal thing. It extends out, and you can do a lot of good with growing things in the earth. And when it comes to fertilizers, like I talked about, with the manure from rabbits and from uh, you know uh, the byproducts of you know processing your fish, you can get natural manures and natural fertilizers, and you can get natural organic compounds, and you can use compost. I didn't. Uh, mentioned composting, but uh, composting is important. I didn't mention it. I wish I mentioned it earlier. Dang it. Uh, but composting too, you know, and I'm not going to go into depth about that now because it's a bit too late. And also, I'm not that experienced with composting myself. But if you start composting, then all of a sudden, you know, now you got, you've got all you need to have a killer farm and you didn't buy any of it. You, it all came from nature. Nature will provide 
for itself and whatever's left over is free for the taking is how I look at it, right? You know, you put in everything and you take what you need. And, you know, nature in that way is kind of beautiful because everything that you need comes from nature as well. So if you're growing vegetables, all the things you need to grow vegetables, you can get from nature. You know, you can get all your compost and fertilizer and manure from nature, and then you can get food out of that. And I just think that's a really, you know, it's, I know that sounds super obvious when you say it out loud, when I say it out loud, but I just think it's a really cool concept of how you can be self-sufficient as long as you uh, work with nature. And I think that's just beautiful. Uh, anyway, I'm and I'm uh, we're reaching the end of uh, time here, so I'm gonna uh, wrap this up. Uh, case in point to sum up this episode: self-sufficient small-scale farming is cool, and I think if you have the opportunity, you should definitely try it. Uh, so thank you. I want to thank you guys for uh, listening to this podcast today. You had a choice, and you chose me, and I thank you for that. If you enjoyed this please leave a uh, like or favorite or whatever whatever platform you're listening on. Uh, like this podcast or give it a thumbs up or whatever. Uh, if you have topics for future episodes, send me an email at gabetalksaboutthings at gmail.com. There's a link in the description where you can send me a voice message. And if you send me a voice message, I can use the clip of your voice in the podcast. Be sure to check that out. I want to thank you guys for listening, and I will talk to you guys next episode. Thank you for listening.